Hey guys, welcome to the You Make the Scene podcast. My name is Josh, and this is episode number 184. This week on the show, I have an incredible conversation with Grayson Zane. Uh, You guys might have found him already, but he is another emerging artist that we're trying to put on you guys' radar because he's absolutely incredible. Uh, Had a great time talking with him and kind of dove into all aspects. You know, as a new and emerging artist, we kind of want to kick things off, you know, with when he decided to pursue music and developing and defining his sound over the years of playing in high school bands and um, becoming a solo artist and things like that. Uh, We talk about attending Berkeley's School of Music, his new singles, uh, working with the band Felicity, so much more. Um, It's a really, really fun conversation. It's a great chance for you guys to, you know, hear from this artist at a pivotal point because, again, for most of you, he's probably not shown up on your radar or he's been on like a song and you didn't really realize who it was or whatever. So, um, I'm stoked to be bringing you this one. Had a ton of fun talking to Grayson. Um, and yeah, so let's do this. Let's just dive in. This is my conversation with Grayson Zane. Awesome, man. Um, so to kick things off, I do start with the same boring ass question every time. Simple introduction. Who are you? What do you do? Okay. Yeah. Uh, my name is Grayson Zane. Um, I'm a solo artist. Um, I make like pop punk, emo, whatever you want to call it, alternative music. Um, I've been playing in bands since I was 12. I'm currently 22. Um, I play in, playing guitar since I was nine. I currently go to Berkeley College of Music. Um, should be graduating here pretty soon. Uh, I'm in Boston right now, uh, but my hometown is Orlando, Florida. Um, and yeah, I hate the weather in Boston. (laughs) I live about an hour North of Indianapolis in the Midwest. So totally fucking get it, man. Like (laughs) the the weather's dog shit. Um, yeah, so that's really cool. Let's talk a little bit about the, the start, right? So you've been playing guitar since you were nine, worked into bands, you know, as early as, as 12, um, talk about kind of when that process clicked for you, like music is more than just something I enjoy. It's something I love and want to kind of pursue. Yeah. Well, that definitely happened when I was around 12 because I had this like sickness going on and, um, it was really weird what happened. So, um, I got really sick with like this weird stomach bug and I was, I was, I couldn't do anything for an entire week and I was in sixth grade and, um, Basically, through that, I stayed being sick and I had severe anxiety and I didn't go to school that entire year. And um, basically, I got uh, a false positive uh, cancer diagnosis Mm. and um, I couldn't play baseball anymore because I've been playing baseball since I was four and I still love sports. Uh, Sports is like a really big part of my life, too, uh, along with music, but it's just you know, I couldn't really play baseball anymore. And I was just sitting at home every day because I wasn't going to sixth grade. So um, I just kind of started writing songs. 
And after they kind of like diagnosed me with the right thing that was going on, which was basically just a major chemical imbalance, which they didn't really end up fixing until I was 16. But, um, but yeah, I, like I got better slowly and I just kind of fell into music and then I never could really get my, get back into sports. Yeah. I don't know. It kind of just shows music from there. Awesome. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about that. If you're open to it, like, hearing the word cancer, especially at that age. And then, I mean, obviously, thank God that it was a false positive, but like, what goes through your mind at that point of like, I went from, you know, a stomach bug that we thought was basically a flu to now I might have cancer and I don't know what's happening. Yeah. So my family didn't tell me that. they okay. thought I had Um, <laughs> But like I had heard rumors from other people that thought that I had, but um, they told me after I got the reassurance <gasps> that um, that I didn't have it because I ended up going to Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and yeah. I stayed there for two weeks. And like through that, they did all these weird tests on me that I still can't even describe today. Like they did this really weird sweat test where like they put a bunch of stuff on you and it makes your skin, it basically feels like you're getting like bitten by like a bunch of mosquitoes all at the same time, all yeah. over your body where they have these sensors. Weird. But, um, eventually they just told me that, uh, like I didn't. And then my family was just like, yeah, okay. So you don't like, we figured out what's wrong with you. You like, you just need to go to therapy. You have severe anxiety. And like, here's like, we're going to start giving you these, like actually like doctor prescribed vitamins that you have to take. Like I had to start like snorting B12. Yeah. And, like all my boogers would be red because <laughs> it was red liquid and it was the whole thing. So. Yeah. that That's crazy. And you know, it's, it's so weird because like, you know, I've always not liked doctors in the first place, but I always make the joke that, you know, we've been on this planet and they're still practicing medicine, right? Like that's what they say is we're practicing because yes, it's a science, but like we still have not figured out a foolproof way to diagnose a lot of stuff, to treat a lot of stuff. So I can only imagine like for you and, and the the family, obviously a little less for you since they purposely didn't tell you right away, but like hearing cancer when you're, you know, pediatric age, like, holy shit. Yep. I was like, wow, that's insane. Even hearing the, uh, the anxiety thing at that age, right? Like that, that probably was a little bit of a heavy step for you too, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I had been diagnosed with anxiety since I was about six or seven. Um, it just like, it'd never been severe. It always just been like, you know, generalized and stuff. But for like that period of time in my life, when I was 12, it was like severe for like a good, like year, at least like, I couldn't even go to school. Like, so basically I was homeschooled for a year because I couldn't go. And, um, you know, and I've had like a lot of things go on with anxiety my entire life, you know? So it's just like, then it got severe again when I was like 17, 18, and now it's just back to being normal, generalized anxiety. So, <laughs> yeah. well, and that's, you know, I, whether people want to admit it or not, I'm a firm believer that everybody has some degree of anxiety, right? Like the world we live in is absolutely built to inject anxiety into people with mass media and, and things like that. Um, so, you know, you get back into school, things like that. 16 you you start really kind of pushing for this this music thing 
what was your parents kind of perspective when you approached them and you're like, I think music is the direction I want to go because in America, that's still very much not considered a traditional path. Yeah. Um, well, luckily my family has always supported me, uh, through all that stuff. And they always thought it was the coolest thing in the entire world that, you know, I was playing music and I was playing shows, even if they didn't like the music that I was playing, because <laughs> from the time that I was about 14 until I was 20, I was like basically exclusively playing in like metalcore beatdown hardcore bands yeah. you know I mean obviously like I still like I still wrote like pop punk and like you know like my the first song I ever wrote when I was 12 was a country song you know it's just like <laughs> I love all genres it's just that like I was just in those type of bands for such a long time and you know they didn't really like what I was doing but like they saw it as like you know he's growing he's learning like you know and then there's a couple of times in some of those bands where like some stuff started to pick up some uh, like steam and stuff. And like, I got to do a lot of really cool things because of that. And yeah. I was trying to tell them how big of a deal it is, but like, you know, they never really understood, you know, the whole emo world or any of that. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. It's, it's funny because, you know, I think especially the male population, I think a lot of, of male kids in their teenage years start dabbling in the metal and metalcore things like that and i know like for me i'm 38 now but when i was doing that um and i still love metalcore and whatnot but when i very first started listening to the heavier alternative stuff my whole family's like it's so angry i don't understand what what's happening like they're just screaming you can't even hear the words and it's like yeah i don't care like <laughs> yep yeah. yeah. Cause it's like, well, I know what they're saying, but right. uh, my favorite band of all time is Metallica. Like my absolute yeah. favorite, like I have, I have a Metallica tattoo. Like Metallica is like the it band for me, even though, you know, like I don't really make that type of music anymore, but like, yeah. you know, like even recently with a lot of the new stuff that I've been writing, I've been writing, you know, some stuff in like a heavier direction, not, you know, like straight up metal, right. like, still singing. 90% of the time, but I started adding some screaming. Uh, we'll see if it actually makes the record or not. But like, yeah. I started like doing some stuff like that and experimenting. Well, and even if you don't go into the, you know, the screaming or the harsh vocals, like Metallica is one of those bands that it, it's funny because for a casual listener, they don't really grasp some of the concepts that go into Metallica's song structures and album structures the guys are fucking geniuses. I mean, that's all there is to it. Like, it's insane how talented they are. So whether it's, you know, going down that vocal path or not, there's definitely elements of, you know, Lars is playing or James is playing that you can incorporate into a song and still like give that little hat nod to them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I even like, you know, there's certain times that I'll be in the studio and I'll be like singing something. And then like, you know, I put like a little bit of like Hetfield on it and stuff <laughs> and uh, and all that. But yeah, like, so I still like incorporate a lot of those things. Like they're still definitely my biggest influence. I mean, I have Seek and Destroy right here on my yeah. uh, right side. You know, every I've seen, every, I've seen Metallica three times. Every single time I've seen them, I cry. Like it's like going to church, yeah. you know? See, and I think that's the thing, though, is whether, you know, whether it's fully influencing your musical choices now or not, like for them to have the kind of impact in your life, like that's really what music is all about in in general, right, is connecting with songs that make you 
feel better or not feel alone in a situation. Um, so yeah, I mean, anybody that wants to take that away from you just because they want to hate Metallica because it's the cool thing to do, like, fuck them. Yeah. I mean, like also Metallica is the only band that can actually like make me like physically like react, like cry at a show. Like that's the only band, only artist that could ever do that to me. Nobody else does that. Like I have great times at every other concert that I go to and stuff, but it's just nobody can evoke such a physical reaction out of me like Metallica can. Yeah. Which is, it's a really dope thing. You know, I think it's something that I'm going to say it and people will shit on me about it. I don't care. Pop music is so surface level that it's hard for a physical emotion to be real out of a pop song, right? Like I'm going to name drop Justin Bieber just because he's obviously the easiest one to do. But like, if you're not a prepubescent teenage girl listening to baby, 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 or whatever the fuck, like, sure. You'll cry then, but like, there's so much less depth. And I think that's the thing in the alternative music scene, especially whether it's the heavy side or not the, you know, the pop punk, the emos, whatever, there's so much more depth because it's so much more real. It's not going into it with the intent of writing a radio friendly pop song. It's I'm going to write this song about my life. Yep. Yep. I mean, I still love all that surface level pop stuff. Like I love Jeff. You know, like even some of like his like, you know, like later stuff, obviously, you know, like a lot of his earlier stuff, you know, it's not really going to evoke emotion. Like, for example, like right. what you said, but like there's like, you know, there's a couple of songs that, you know, he's put out recently in the past couple of years that like, you know, I could see like a lot of people reacting that yeah. way. But like, I yeah. definitely understand where you're coming from, because like, you know, like a lot of those surface level pop songs, like you're not going to cry to a catch a song, you know, like, right. yeah, you're not you're not crying to to whap. I mean, it's just not. Happening. No, you're not. <laughs> but yeah uh so let's talk about going into berkeley right so of all the the music schools out there berkeley is obviously considered one of the top uh if not the top what's it like you know coming out of high school going into berkeley and and really being able to hyper focus into music specifically well um so I graduated high school in the class of 2020. So I was part of the pandemic year. So yeah. we left for spring break and we never came back. Um, and then we had our graduation on the football field, all you know, <laughs> socially distanced and yeah. all that stuff. But I went to a pretty small school. So like we could still have the graduation stuff. So yeah. it didn't have to be like, you know, on Zoom. So, um, but yeah, so like I kind of like took a year off because uh, the band that I was in at the time uh, was doing some pretty promising things. Like we had played Warp Tour in 2018 like the last four dates of the Mm -hmm. only four dates yeah Uh, and um so we had done that we had just uh we were about to go into the studio and record an album with uh tom denny uh exadata remember you know he's Mm -hmm. done you know some stuff with pierce the veil um so like we had some stuff that we were doing and we ended up getting some interest from a couple of labels but um but anyway so I basically took a year off of school I was kind of doing some online stuff but like not like a lot I was mainly just like I had a job and I had a couple of jobs actually and I was you know just living at my parents house and doing the band thing and uh anyway so anyways like all those labels like fell through and then our vocalist was like all right peace and it was like okay and then we were just like all right I guess we're breaking up so then we broke up and then I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go to Berkeley then. 
Cause like I had already applied and I'd already got a, like accepted the year before, but I had like deferred it. So like, I was just like, all right, I'm just going to go to Berkeley now. And yeah. uh, my first semester in person was spring of uh, 2022. Yeah. So with Berkeley, for those that aren't familiar, talk about like, it is really, really intense. It is very, again, hyper-specific, right? So you're, as a, you know, alternative music uh, performer, emo, pop punk, whatever, you're still learning like music theory and song structure and songwriting. What's it like seeing that aspect of it, um, as well as kind of maybe trying to break some potentially bad habits you had because you've been doing it for so long going into the school? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I love theory. Uh, well, actually, it depends because at Berkeley, there's <laughs> different types of theory. There's the regular harmony classes, which is harmony one through four, and you have to take four semesters of it. And then there's tonal harmony and composition, which is like classical theory, which is like what you would take like AP music theory in high school. Or if you go to literally any other college around the world, they teach you tonal harmony, which is classical harmony from hundreds of years ago, which most people still use when they do harmony. But Berkeley also decided to make basically kind of like their own harmony, which is jazz harmony, which I like so much better because it relates to everything that I do. And it just, it makes so much more sense because it's just like, I'm never going to use classical harmony like right. ever. But I mean, I love learning all like the jazz harmony stuff, hate tonal harmony. But, um, and I know that anybody that's ever gone to Berkeley can definitely agree with me. Everybody hates tonal harmony. But, you know, and then there's like ear training and ear training, you learn to conduct sing and um you know do the rhythms of stuff so like they'll give you like a, a measure uh like little piece and you have to sing it like like there's like no references or anything like you get like right. one note of like the the uh the note of the key and then you have to sing it and and for example like in ear training four it's all chromatics and it's in weird time signatures like seven eight and you have to conduct it and conducting in seven eight really sucks yeah. but it's just like there's just so many things you have to do and it's, it's really cool like learning all those things but it doesn't really apply as much to the genre that I personally make um if I was still doing the metalcore stuff it would definitely help a lot more but I'm not doing that stuff as much anymore but I, I still love learning all that stuff and you know it has taught me a lot of things about what I was doing it basically just kind of taught me like what I was doing right you know, because like you listen to all these songs, like, for example, like say like your favorite band's Neck Deep. You're like, I want to write a song like Neck Deep, you know, like you use the same chord progression. You know, you just change up the melody and the lead. And there's basically, you know, you have a new song, you know, and you like basically you just start to learn why those chord progressions work and why everybody in the world uses like five different chord progressions and nobody uses anything else, you know, because I mean, even they have songwriting classes and stuff. And basically they just made names for everything. Like if you've been songwriting for a long time, they basically have names for everything that you've already been doing. But if you right. haven't been songwriting for a long time, they basically teach you all these different things of like, oh, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this, which is really cool. So um, I love going to Berkeley. Uh, there's so much to learn. Uh, there's definitely some things that if I could change them, I definitely would, but <laughs> I, th yeah. I feel like that's at any school though, right? I mean, even looking back to high school, there's definitely stuff that it's like, why the fuck did we learn how to do this thing when we could have learned this instead? 
Oh, right. there's nothing I learned in high school that applies to anything that I do now. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> insane. Um, and like, I get the importance of like a history class, right? Because if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah, but I at love the same it. time. Like, but at the same time, the flip side is like, cool, you couldn't tell me how to fucking file taxes or how many dependents I'm supposed to claim on a W-2 or so real you know like there's so much more like life skills that i think should be incorporated rather than just book uh teaching in a school but that's yeah. a whole different you know political thing that i'm not even going to pretend to understand yeah. uh but for you going to berkeley too kind of you know whether this is a, a direction that you're planning to go or not it it also learning all those things sets you up for studio work. It sets you up for potential composing of, you know, movie soundtracks, things like that. If you ever decide to venture down that road, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of different degrees at Berkeley. My degree is professional music, which is basically a create your own major type thing. Yeah. And uh, you get to choose up to three different concentrations. So I chose two. My two are songwriting and music business because the music business program here is absolutely amazing. Um, so, you know, I, that's where I learned the most here at Berkeley. Like most of the stuff that I'm actually like applying to what right. I'm doing is through all the music business stuff. Um, songwriting is just a lot of fun because they basically make you write like a ton of songs every week. So like, I like doing that anyways. And it's like, oh, this is homework. I have to write a song. It's just like, all right, cool whatever even if I don't like it it's like whatever I wrote another song that made me better you know because the more you write you know the more you do something the better you get so but um I forgot where I was going with that but I <laughs> there's a lot of different majors right right so uh I want to touch on the the music business side because I think a lot of a lot of artists especially starting out don't like to think of their band or their art as a business but you really have to. So talk a little bit about that and like learning behind the curtain stuff of this is why I need to market this way, or this is why it's important to do distro kid just to just send everything out all at once versus trying to manually upload and things like that. Yep. So I used to be in that boat of not wanting to know any of the business stuff and just wanting to be a musician and all that stuff. But like when I was on my previous bands. Yeah. And you know, it's just we ended up getting fucked over in the end because we didn't do that. And there's so many things that we got fucked over on, like, you know, like when it came to merch, when it came to shows of like where, cause like we were playing shows where like you have to sell 50 tickets or else you can't play and all that. I don't do that anymore. I would never do that ever, like ever again. But I did that for years thing. and years and years and, you know, and you struggle and like, I played shows to like three people, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's kind of hard to play metalcore to three people. Cause like you want people to like mosh and, you know, move right. around shit and they don't so yeah. it's just yeah but now since i've been doing my uh my solo project as grace and zane you know i really realized that it's just it's me against the world and i have to be self-sufficient in most of the things that i possibly can to make this absolutely as successful as i can because that's part of the reason why i didn't want to be in, in another band is because i hated counting on other people you know, yeah. like if you find those right people to count on, good for you. You got a system or even, you know, there's a lot of bands that I've heard where like they just have one person that does it all and everybody else basically just plays lives and house writes songs, you know, yeah. and that's cool. But I can't do that. Like I just I need to just do it myself. 
you know, uh, it's not that I don't play well with others. I absolutely do. But it's just, I just want to do it for myself because I hate counting on other people. And a lot of those things that I've learned, I mean, I recently just had to get like a lawyer for some of the stuff that I've, uh, that I've been doing. So it's just like, even talking to him, I've learned a lot more stuff and he's opened my mind to even more of the things that I already kind of had a basic knowledge of you know, learning at Berkeley, but knowing the business is the absolute best thing that you can do for your own brand. Not saying that I even know, like that I even scratched the surface of knowing the business, but I still, you know, I'm still learning and I like, I'm trying and I understand, you know, more than a normal person would. Yeah. Well, and I, I think too, with it is even if you're not going to learn it to be a master in those different things, right? Like you're not going to law school to become an entertainment lawyer by any means, but having at least that foundational knowledge of it protects you from the people that, as you can probably attest to, it sounds like from some of your, your previous ventures, like in the music industry, you're going to come across a million people that want to quote unquote, help you and hold your hand but they're really just trying to get money out of you and they can't really offer you or don't have the skills that they claim they have. So like, whether that's a manager, a PR team, whatever it is, being at least having that foundational knowledge, you can look at it now and go, okay, I know at least for PR, if I don't see this kind of return on it, then I'm not going to continue to do business with that person or, you know, these promoters you mentioned the <laughs> selling tickets to your own show, which is the most asinine fucking thing I've ever experienced in the music industry. Because like you get hired by or placed by a booking agent with a promoter. Promoter is their fucking name and they expect you to promote the show and sell the tickets. And it's like, but then what the fuck is your job? Yep. Yeah. It's I mean, like, <laughs> it sucks because, you know, like, we, you know, you wouldn't even get guarantees back mm -hmm. then at all. Like it would be based off of how many tickets you sold. And if you had to sell 50 tickets and let's say you only sold 40, you're like, well, shit, I'm going to play the show. I guess I had to buy the other 10 tickets. And usually they're around like 15, 20 bucks. So like, yeah. you know, that's a lot of money that you just paid to play the show, you know, and it really sucks. You know, now that I've been doing this, you know, Grace and Zane stuff, it's just, you know, I've had some offers to play some shows and I said no, because I knew I was going to have to sell tickets. And I'm like, I'm only going to play shows where I'm still going to promote them like I would, except right. I'm going to tell people to go buy tickets, you know, and, you know, I'm going to make sure that all my friends are there. I'm going to make sure that if there's anybody I know in that city, I want to make sure that they know that I'm playing there. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm playing for a guarantee. I'm not playing. I'm not paying to play. I'm right. not like, like selling tickets is the worst thing ever, yeah. you know? Well, it'd be different too, if it was like a, you know, a relatively small show, obviously Live Nation and Ticketmaster and them will never do this type of stuff. But like, if you want me to promote the show, which I'm obviously going to do as an artist performing, like give me a code so that you can track how many came from my socials, things like that. But like, don't give me a, a minimum quota of you have to sell 50 tickets. Yep. instead flip that and this is just wishful thinking in the music industry but you know give me that that promo code or whatever people put in that and then you 
give me a bonus on top of my guarantee based on the fact that, oh shit, 250 of the tickets tonight were through Grayson Zane. Like, here you go, bud. Like, thanks for doing that. Yep, absolutely. And that's the way that it should be. And I actually do know a, um, a couple of promoters that do similar things. Um, so yeah, and those are the people that I'm going to choose to work with as long as I'm not, you know, like on tour or something. Right. If you're on tour, it's different, but yeah. But yeah. When it's through, especially the label or something like that, that's obviously a totally different thing. Uh, speaking of labels, you did just sign with Zodiac uh, Records. Talk a little bit about kind of this, this partnership, this, you know, collaboration um, and being obviously, again, you've done this for a while now, but being new in this iteration of what you're doing and having a label come to you and be like, Hey, we see what you're doing. We believe in what you're doing. Let's figure this out. Yeah. I mean, I love the team at Zodiac. I love Dana and I love Paul. They're both great. Um, you know, they're super, super artist friendly. Uh, they're not trying to tie you down forever, you know, on a five album deal or whatever, you know, they're kind of just like, they're trying to cater everything towards the artists as best as they can. And I really, really appreciate that, you know, and they're the absolute best. I mean, they, they've helped me with absolutely anything that I've ever needed. And, you know, I think it's really exciting. I'm excited to release uh, all the stuff that I have planned with them. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just like, it's really cool that, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just kind of like the next step, you know, it's kind of like something that, you know, I've been like dreaming of since, you know, I was like a, a kid. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, too, the, the thing is there's such a, obviously a, a small label, but they've both been in the industry for so fucking long. You know oh, yeah. what I mean? Like they know what the fuck they're doing. Um, Dana is absolutely incredible. And I think the thing with this type of setup is it's a, a point of leverage. Like you said, we're not going to lock you in and pull the, we talked about a day to remember a little bit earlier, not pull the old school victory records and lock you into this five record deal and then fuck you over out of royalties and all that. It's, Hey, let's do this kind of album by album. We're going to see how, how things go. We'll teach you along the way, whatever we can teach you. Um, and if it continues to be a long-term commitment, then great. But we're also not going to handcuff you into play by our rules or you don't play. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like something that I absolutely love about uh this this collaboration between me and zodiac so yeah awesome uh let's talk a little bit about some of the singles you've been dropping some stuff over the last you know for a while now but specifically over the last couple months you've you've had a few things drop so you had uh emo trash drop let's talk a little bit about you know the obvious play on words but also the the real life stereotype that is emo trash right like people assume when they hear, oh, somebody likes emo, it's like, oh, they're just sad boy. They're just depressed or whatever. Like, what went through your head building this sort of uh, this song and kind of the concept? Yeah, so, you know, that was a collab with uh, uh, this band, Felicity. And um, so Drew, the guitarist, came up with the idea <laughs> for that. He came up with the idea of like, yo, Grayson, like we should like do a collab and we should call it emo trash. 
And, you know, it just, you know, it kind of went from there and it was just so much fun being able to write it and just think about all these like dumb stereotypes that are just like, you know, that have always been thrown at, you know, like people in the scene, whether you make music or you don't, you're just a fan. You know, I mean, I know I got bullied in middle school and high school for liking this type of music, you know? Yeah. And that was one of the biggest hate comments that we got. It's just like, these dudes look like they never got bullied. And it's like, you literally, that, that's what I hate about the internet. It's like, they don't know anything about me. Like I did get bullied in middle school and high school for listening to Bring Me the Horizon and Asking Alexandria and like, you know, all those bands or like in My Chemical Romance, you know, like yeah. I got bullied for that. And um you know, I just think it's so much fun. I mean, my favorite lyric in the entire song is uh, paint my nails black and I'll date your daughter. And I kind of like that was coming from me, like personally. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just it's my absolute favorite because it's just like that's how like I feel. You know, it's just like, yeah, I want to paint my nails black, but I'm still going to date whoever I want. You know, like it's, you know. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's one of those, you know the harder people try to push something away, the, the more likely it is to stick around too. You know what I mean? So, um, it, it's funny because, you know, you, you talk about the bullying. I've very recently been having this conversation more and more about how just stupid it is, right? Like bullying in general is fucking dumb, but like in high school, middle school, things like that, it's always like, the athletes bullying the music or art kids. But like y'all fucking listen to bands, right? Like you don't think, you know what I mean? Like you love music as an athlete and whether it's Metallica or whoever, like why are you bullying somebody that's chasing the dream to become that for somebody else? And like the just insanity of like, if the roles were reversed, right? And like the scene kids or theater kids start bullying jocks like people would just laugh at it because like why is that even happening so it's just so funny the the dichotomy of that where people are like yeah it's acceptable to to bully the scene kid or the the theater kid even though i love music and i want that to be a thing yeah i mean i so basically when i stopped playing sports altogether in about sixth grade i became like a theater kid And I, you know, like, that's like kind of like my descent into the darkness, (laughs) you know, I like, I I hung out with the theater kids and, you know, I was emo and I did all those things and I was bullied from like seventh grade to ninth grade. And then all of a sudden everything kind of just turned around like this, this is the story that you usually never hear, but like from like seventh grade to ninth grade, I was bullied, you know, like not like really hard, but like, I still was, you know, like certain people I was, but it was just you know, and then around 10th grade, everybody started respecting me because I had this band and we were actually playing shows and we were playing for, we were opening for people that we actually like respected and we wanted, you know, the like, you know, everybody at my high school found out that I was playing Warp Tour and everybody at my high school knew what Warp Tour was. It didn't matter, you know, if you're emo or not, everybody knew what it was and they found out that I was playing it. And like, all of a sudden, like, it was just like, oh, you know, like, don't fuck with this kid. Like, he's actually cool. Like, he's actually you know he's he's getting there yeah like he's like actually trying yeah so yeah so from like 10th grade to senior year I didn't get bullied but it was mainly just like middle school and early high school yeah well and it's also funny because as you start to make a name for yourself I don't know if you've experienced this and you don't have to call them out if you did but uh as you start to make a name for yourself and and gain a little bit of of traction with music 
it's funny how quick people come around to to like hey you think i could get on the guest list for that show on saturday like you know like no fucking buy a ticket show up if you want to want to be a friend now yeah uh i've been kind of more dealing with that stuff recently right. uh, it really <laughs> happened in high school yeah um because like later in high school i started selling tickets to all my classmates because they wanted to come out to the shows and stuff but it was just like but like i've been kind of dealing with that recently and uh that's part of the reason why i wrote too cool for me yeah no. which is that's what i want to songs about now that's not what the song's about now but that's what it originally started out as being about <laughs> yeah which is a perfect segue because that's the the next one i wanted to get into you just dropped too cool for me um let's talk a little bit about that so one of the things i don't do you know now that you kind of leaked it already but i don't ask about the specifics of a song anymore because i don't want to take it away from people so the meaning obviously changed anyway but like talk about kind of that that mentality right where okay, things, you know, this person is now too cool for me, or this, you know, this thing is too cool for me. What went through your mind while you were writing all of this? Yeah. So, um, I'll kind of take you through a short story of how like the song kind of came together. So this is my apartment in Boston where I'm at right now. And uh, I wrote the chorus, the chorus only. And then, um, I became friends with, uh, Alex from, um, young culture Mm -hmm. and, um, I went with him uh, to the studio in uh, in Queens. It's called Two World Studio, uh, owned by Billy Menino, and he's a great producer. He's doing a lot of the up-and-coming emo bands right now. And um, we finished the song there. We also did another song, but that one didn't make the EP, but it might come out later. But anyway, so we finished the song. We had a final demo of it, and that's where the meaning actually ended up changing. But then... I took it to my producer in Orlando and that's where we absolutely like finished it and polished it. And that's the version that you hear now. With that being said, um, when I wrote it here in my room in Boston, I had just been kind of going through some things like with people here at Berkeley. And it was just like, you know, it kind of just felt like, you know, they were too cool to hang out with me or talk to me, you know? And I felt like that was the case because, you know, they listen to the same music that I do, you know, like they love, you know, like, all the pop punk bands they love everything like that and you know they they were in bands themselves but i think it was the fact that you know my music that i released wasn't you know cool that right. they are just like you know like we can't really you know like be hanging out with you you know like you know sorry i don't sound like the story so far you know that i'm like because you know like i love don't get me wrong i love the story so far so right. much i've seen them live a bunch of times love them love everything they do but, you know, like, there's, like, different sides of pop punk. There's, like, the cool side, and there's the corny side. And yeah. I like to think that I'm somewhere in the middle, okay? Yeah. But they were totally on, like, you know, like, the totally cool part. And it's just the fact that I'm not there that I feel like, you know, they felt they were too cool to hang out with me or talk to me or be my friend. And I was just like, okay, I'm just going to write about this then, you know? Like, fuck you guys, whatever. Like, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to – be bigger and better and whatever you know than you guys and it just it gave me that drive that passion and i ended up writing the chorus here and that's what i wrote about and then i took it to new york with alex and billy and um since i only had the chorus you know like the song could technically be about anything because i could verses in but um we kind of just started talking about a conversation and we all started talking about our exes and that's what you know, the majority of pop punk is about, is about your, yeah. like, you know, girlfriend or whatever. So, um, 
and like the story in the song it's like it's loosely based off of all of our exes combined but yeah. we added some things in there that made it like not totally true so but yeah so like that's what the song's about but like obviously I would love for you know anybody to interpret the song that they want the how that however they want like whether it's an ex you know significant other or it's a ex-friend or you know whatever but like that's basically what the song is yeah yeah alex is a super dope dude i've had him on the podcast a couple times and he's just he's one of those artists that i i said it man i think i first had him on the podcast like two years ago and i was like you just wait dude like you guys are on the cusp and then they dropped their their last album and i'm like boom there it is because they had just to be there off you know yeah, yeah. shout out so yc yeah for sure um so kind of what does the remainder i mean obviously you're still working on getting through school but what does the remainder of 2023 kind of look like for you it's obviously writing music and and whatnot are you planning any shows or or more releases kind of where's your mind at yeah, absolutely. Um, I am playing a show in Orlando, uh, December 16th. It is called the Emo Social Block Party. And um, Hawthorne Heights is headlining and followed by um, five Orlando artists, including me. And, um, and the, they are as follows, you know, like 408 who have been doing huge, amazing things. Yep, just uh, talked to them the other day. Yep, and then uh, Capstan, you know, Orlando legends, you know, Fearless Records, they're amazing, so talented. And then you got the boys in Felicity, you know, those are my boys. Um, and then you have me, and then you have uh, the boys in Twin Roba. Love those guys, they're great. Yeah. And it's really yeah. funny because the five of us all go to the same studio. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. the producer that we work with at the studio changes on the artist, but we right. all go to the same studio in Orlando. Yeah. Yeah, that's still super cool. Yeah, I just, I was talking to um, uh, Matt from the uh, 408 the other night and we were talking a little bit about, you know, getting in the studio and he had worked with um, Matt Thiessen from Reliant K not too long ago, writing a song and all that. So like, they're another band that is is so close to blowing up. It's not even funny. And, you know, I think obviously the more stuff you release, it, it's going to get there too. Um, but uh, we were talking on, on that conversation about like the importance of social media. So for you, you know, obviously 408 found a ton of success within TikTok. Capstan is luckily, I say luckily, of the age where YouTube was still kind of their proving ground. What are you kind of finding for your personal uh, path within social media? Is it Instagram reels and stuff like that? Is it TikTok? Obviously there's probably some hybrid of that, but yeah, um, it's still definitely TikTok. Um, I mean, when we went viral for emo trash and, you know, we got all that hate and Anthony Fantano duetted my TikTok, it was because I posted a TikTok that went, that got saved, posted on Twitter, went viral on Twitter, and then Anthony Fantano duetted my TikTok on TikTok, and then it went viral on TikTok. So it was just like, everything is still definitely TikTok. I mean, like Orlando just has like such a scene that, you know, like, you know, that I look up to so much, you know, like the dudes in 408, you know, like I know all of them, you know, the, the dudes in Magnolia Park know all of yeah. them, you know, the dudes in Felicity, 
you know, Capstan, you know, it's just like Orlando just has such a scene right now. And, you know, and the thing is, is that like, you know, we all go to the same studio. I mean, there's even more other than that, you know, that are yeah. in the, on the heavier side, you know, there's Dark Divine, there's not enough space. There's all, there's a bunch of bands, Breed, you know, Orlando is just so talented. And there's so much coming out of Orlando right now. And I think that when people look back in 10 or 15 years, they're going to be like, wow, like Orlando was really leading this scene around the early 2020s. Like, yeah. that's like where the scene was at. Like, it was just the hub. Like, we, we may not have like the biggest group of fans out there, like, you know, because it's not an A city, it's a B market city. But like, all, all these talented artists are just coming out of here. You know, yeah. but yeah, so with that being said, I definitely do look up to, you know, Mag Park, 408, Felicity when it comes to, you know, making all these TikToks. And, um, you know, I do the same things as, as they do. And I've been getting more and more successful. I was recently just shadow banned actually for like a week, but whatever. Besides that, um, I've been doing really good. You know, I mean, I've only been an artist, you know, with what I've been doing for about a year and a half now. And the growth I've had in a year and a half, like, obviously it's not as like much as like some of the top people, for example, like there's artists like, you know, Elijah out there. I don't know if you know who that is. Mm -hmm. Elijah. Yeah. Dope, yeah. So, yeah. So like, there's somebody like Elijah where like on his second or third song just immediately got a million streams, like just so huge. And he like, or like Honey Revenge, like literally like their second well, song. Yeah. Boom. You know? And like, obviously I'm not there. But I'm also like at the point where I'm doing better than probably the majority of artists that are starting out in their first year and a half. I'm not doing like the top, top, like Elijah, you know, Honey Revenge, you know, but I'm not, you know, doing like as worse as I could. I'm, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in, you know, the higher part of that range. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, not to make an excuse for you, but you're also still in school doing the Berkeley thing too. So like not fully being able to, to commit a thousand percent into it yet because you're you're focused on getting that education and I think that obviously plays a little bit of a factor but yeah I mean you mentioned uh Elijah Honey Revenge they're both uh I'm working on getting both of them on the the podcast um 408 we were talking about uh Josh from from Mag Park and just the level of insanity that is him that you know it's so funny you mentioned like the the Orlando scene and we were talking about it as well where like it's such a there's so much talent and and capability there and the beautiful thing with that scene is you guys are all really invested in each other as well and it's all about making everyone succeed there's there's some competition, obviously, because there has to be. But like, well, yeah, of course, it means a little healthy to have a little bit of competition, right? But but nobody's like out to fuck anybody over, really. In that, oh, scene. absolutely, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely not... a cool thing to see. Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. Uh, funny that you mentioned Josh. Josh does my music videos, and okay, um, yeah. uh, he helps me shoot my TikToks, and um, he's actually uh, the feature on my next single. Sweet, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny how much hate he does get on TikTok, though. I will say, I mean, obviously oh, it's, it's social media, but it's insane. insane. It's yeah. this no, but like it's like I oh, like it's the the racist stuff too. Yeah, that like comes that's through. disgusting. Yeah. You know, for sure. And, like, cause there's a difference between like getting hate and then like actually it being absolutely disgusting. I can't believe somebody would fucking say that. 
Like, yeah. what are you like? Uh, I just, I hate that stuff. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I did though see, I don't know, last week or something. I, I mean, he's done it more than once, but one of them was, you know, quoting the TikTok. So nobody come after me, but it was something like, get this black guy out of my, my music or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he does, you know, his little stitch and, and does a, a song or whatever. And it's like, how are we still in that kind of a, a world? You know what I mean? Like, what, whether we're talking about that person fully being racist and hating black people or, or whatever is irrelevant. Like, how are we still in a world where we're trying to gatekeep music to where only certain people are allowed to play certain types of music? Like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just, I just, you know, sometimes I just don't understand what goes through people's heads. And it's just like, I think it's just like a reflection on their character, obviously, yeah. that they really don't know what they're talking about and they really don't know what it takes. And, you know, they're probably just PC warriors behind, you know, their phone or their camera and they're just upset because they could never do something as good and it pisses them off like even more the fact that they are racist and the fact yeah. that it's somebody of a different race doing it 10 times better than they ever could you yeah. know and it's so funny too i've i've had this conversation with a few people where like even if we take the racism ones out just the hate comments in general like you're only saying that because you're protected by anonymity behind the phone you oh, would absolutely. never come up to somebody face to face at a show and be like uh your dog shit and this is why and blah 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 like yeah unless you're, you're ready to hit the mouth hands. yeah you, you're, are you ready to throw hands are you gonna say something like that like <laughs> yeah i forget yeah, the artist like, that for I'm example talking like to. but like i stitched that stuff on uh on my tiktoks you know like all those hate comments that i get like yeah i do the same things you know obviously like i learned from josh and mag park and you know all the 408 and felicity guys that like you know how they post their tiktoks how they're successful you know, it's just, it depends on getting, you know, the right exact right part of the song, the exact right comment that you can stitch, put it on your video. And like, it's just, it's just matters about like the right thing. And after you get enough of a following, it's not really, it doesn't really matter anymore because you're still getting thousands of people seeing your stuff. And then like every other video will go viral instead of it just being right. one video and all that stuff. But yeah, you know, like I do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the, I, I've seen several artists doing it and I think it's the the smart way to do it too, because like, then you're also getting a real understanding of who your, your core fan base is because they're the ones obviously coming to quote unquote to protect you in the comments. And um, I think it also helps because then just from the shock value, right? Like, oh did you see what what grayson posted on tiktok like check out this comment that he replied to and then it's one of your videos and that just helps the the virility of the uh the video so yep absolutely i mean magnolia park has been so revolutionary in this scene they literally turned this entire scene on its fucking head i mean they have a million and a half monthly listeners they have almost a million followers on tiktok like they literally like nobody has ever grown as fast as they have probably since the days before the internet like you know like or even like you know like back when mtv was a thing we're like oh like you know this band just got signed to a big label they got their video on mtv all of a sudden they're the biggest artist they had a gold album the next day you know like it like this is something that hasn't been seen in this genre in such a long time and they are the first band that's ever 
like, you know, done it. And I still hear people talk about them being like, oh, they're still so fresh. They're so new. You know, like, you know, nobody really knows that much about them yet. Like, I was like, have you not seen everything that they've been doing and being like, you know, I feel like it's just jealousy at this point, you know, it's because like, yeah, you know, they have, they have more monthly listeners on Spotify than a lot of these legacy bands. Yeah. You know, a lot of these legacy bands, like, you know, for example, we talked about the story so far earlier, you know, they only have a million monthly listeners. Magnolia Park has a million and a half. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who could sell a bigger room? The story so far, obviously. But like that comes with age. And I think that that just means that Magnolia Park is just on a way bigger trajectory of playing way bigger rooms and doing all those bigger things. And I I couldn't be more proud of them. Yeah, well, and I think part of that too depends on, we don't have to get into the economics of it, but the the market size too, right? Like the places that Mag Park plays or potentially could sell more tickets isn't necessarily an A market for the story so far either. So you've got some of that too, where again, though, I think that helps support the scene as a whole, because while, you know, the story so far maybe can sell a 5,000 cap room in Chicago, cool, let Mag Park have Orlando and do it there, or, you know, whatever, one of the quote unquote B markets, Mm -hmm. and it's still going to support the whole scene because then people are going to be like, oh shit, that was worth it. You guys went to this show you should have came to this show. Here's why. Yep, absolutely. But um, yeah, it's just, it's so much, you know, it just brings me so much joy to see like everybody in the Orlando scene, you know, kind of like thriving right now. Cause like everybody is just like, it just seems like every other day that someone's, you know, blowing up. For example, I don't know if you know, not enough space, but um, I've heard him. I haven't, haven't cool. got to talk to him or anything yet, but. Okay. Uh, so uh, they're from Orlando, uh, you know, um, they've been around probably since 2019 at least. And, um, you know, I've been going to their shows. I've been friends with them for such a long time. They're all UCF students. And um, yeah, you know, I remember when they went viral, cause like, it just seems like everybody in Orlando is just like, who's next, who's going to have their moment in the right. same, you know, cause like first it was Mag Park and then it was Dark Divine and then it was 408, you know, and Felicity's yeah. had a couple of moments in the sun too. You know, and it's yeah. just like everyone just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And then it was not enough space. So it's just like, who's next? You know, I hope it's me. I hope, my, right. I hope I'm next. I'm definitely putting in the work to, to, you know, do it. I feel like I'm doing all the right things, you know, and I'm working as hard as I absolutely can. I mean, the only two things that I ever think about is this number one, my entire music stuff. I mean, I try to post like three times a day on TikTok. All I'm thinking about is like what I can do next. What can I, what, how can I write better songs? So, like, you know, you know like what shows can I play when do I have to go back to the studio like just all these things in my head just planning for the future constantly like this is the only thing that I think about realistically because then everything after that is like school and right friends and other stuff like but this is like number one this is like literally all I think about this is all I want and yeah you know it's absolutely insane also I know we were talking about Magnolia Park um I played one of the first shows with them with my old band back in 2018 nice yeah yeah, and that was like that's when they uh, had one song out, and that's when they sounded like uh, they sounded a lot more similar to movements back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their evolution of sound has been insane, and I think the thing too, and yours is is definitely there too. There's there's variations to your sound depending on the songs, and I think that's the thing with with pop punk um, is recognizing that. A, not everything has to be the breakup song that 
we're cliched into, but B, like, you know, the, the number of features that are happening now in pop punk is unlike anything ever seen before. And it's just, again, really that moment of everybody wants this, this genre to succeed. So we're going to do everything we can to support it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Machine Gun Kelly and Magnolia Park are the ones who changed that. You know, they started treating this genre like it's a mainstream, you know, not that it wasn't mainstream because it used to be, but, you know, right. it was in the mainstream for such a long time, you know, and I feel like they really, you know, were bringing it back and they started treating it like rap where there's, you know, main artist collabs, not just like a feature, you know, like yeah. most of these bands, like, you know, they wouldn't really have features at all in the first place. But now it's like common to have features and do, you know, main artist collabs. Like, you know, like what I did with Felicity, you know, like I have mm -hmm. a feature with Josh coming, you know, and yeah. And I think uh, what you're saying about how like pop punk is just turning into this genre where it can be like, there's so many different sides of it. And now that you can just do so many things, you know, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that everybody in, you know, the genre, you know, is really pushing for that too, because I can tell you right now, that I have five songs on this EP that's coming out and each one sounds different from each other. And, but it's still all technically pop punk. If that's what you right. want to call it, you can call it whatever you want. But I mean, if you just want to put a, you know, umbrella term on it, you can call it that, you know? And it's just like, there's so many different things. And even with the new songs that I'm writing, you know, like I'm experimenting with going like with this heavier sound that I was telling you about. And, you know, and even like, you know, like, you know, more pop sounds, you know, it's just like, just experimenting with all these things like pop punk doesn't just have to be like you sound like blink 182 right you know that's that's yeah. not what it is anymore it's like a worldwide genre of like everything that it could be yeah i mean it's it, you mentioned elijah earlier right like when you really break down his songs that motherfucker is pop punk emo lyrically oh yeah sonically yeah he's on the heavier side for a lot of his stuff but like it still fits again i'm the same way as you like fuck genre labels i hate them they don't fit anybody anymore but like if you're gonna put him in a box he fits in the pop punk box um yeah. one of the kind of the oddball ones that i've really been pushing towards people uh friends and whatnot is low spirit if you've heard him like that dude has he's like um edm emo is the best way to put it like okay. it's all this this you know drum and bass type stuff but lyrically, the dude is writing this really passionate emo stuff. Um, and it's really, really cool. He just released a song um, not too long ago. He has a uh, chronic eating disorder and whatnot and writes this song about dealing with this illness while still trying to like provide for his family and whatnot. And it's just so cool, like, because that's how far we've stretched this, this scene and genre now is fuck it if you want to bring in synths and 808s and whatever then fucking do it like just have fun and that's the thing is that like you know maybe all these people on twitter all the old heads might hate it you know it's just like it's whatever you know like i don't care if you don't like it you know there's going to be somebody else out there that does like it you know for example we had like over ten thousand comments on emo trash about how many people hated the song and right people were even saying that it sounded like a country song which i was just like Okay, it doesn't, but okay. If you want to say that, cool. I mean, not that I, I love country. Don't get me wrong. I love yeah. all genres. I go to fucking Berkeley. Like, I have to play jazz. I play jazz. It sucks. Right. I mean, it, doesn't, it sucks sometimes. But like, you know, like I appreciate all types of music, you know? And it's just like, people were just hating on the song, 
you know, and I don't think that most people really understood what the song was about, where it was just about, you know, like, we're making fun of these stereotypes, but at the end of the day, we are these people, like, this is who we are, you know, and even if they did get it, and they thought it was cringy to be like, you're literally calling yourself, you know, like, emo trash, it's like, okay, whatever, think it's cringy, I don't, like, literally, that's what this entire genre was built off of, is being cringy and being vulnerable, you know, I mean, like, think about, like, the emo wave that, you know, was really happening in, like, the late 2000s with, like, Asking Alexandria and Attack Attack, you know, like, the swoopy hair and even the crazier hair, like, all the MySpace stuff, you know, it's just, like, that's what this genre is built off of, you know, it's just, like, what, are we past that now? I, for some people, yes, I mean, but again, it's, it's funny, we don't have to stay on this road too long, but it's funny because I am, you know, I would consider myself one of those old heads in a sense of like, again, I'm 38. Like I remember Blink-182's first album. I remember Green Day's first album. I remember All Time Low breaking on the scene. You know what I mean? Like all these bands that have come through this genre. But I think the the funny thing in an ironic way is like, there are so many bands or fans that are like, these bands are cringy now. And it's like, go back and listen to the very first all-time low record the very first newfound glory record like that shit is cringy in the best sort of way at that time you know what i mean like oh absolutely it, it i love newfound glory and the amount of people that to this day still shit on them that like well this isn't sticks and stones no because they're fucking 40 years old now like grow up yeah. they did yeah for real yeah i mean like i even listen to some of my old stuff like even the old stuff that didn't make it on to you know like streaming platforms and i'm just like like you know for example like i'll cringe at some of my like you know earlier music like uh like my song with you i mean i still love that song but like i still cringe at it i'm just like wow like i really wrote that and it's like i wouldn't write that song now but that was a you know a reflection of who i was when i wrote that you know, yeah. and people love it when I play it live. Like people like scream, you know, like the 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 lyrics to the chorus. Yeah. Well, and the last thing I want to touch on that you said a minute ago, and it just the song name and artist popped in my head finally. Um, you mentioned that people were calling that a country song with you and Felicity. It could be worse, right? Like Belmont did Country Girl, and it is the just most ridiculous fucking song. <laughs> like you didn't go that route, so it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually in the studio, uh, like with Belmont. We were in different like sections of the studio. Right. I was recording with my producer. They were recording with uh, the other producer, and it was just like when I was recording my first EP. But and I've seen Belmont live a billion times. Like I absolutely like loved them. But like yeah, like we didn't go that route. Like that's not what we did. We weren't trying to make a country song. We were literally trying to make a pop punk song about being emo trash you know like me and uh drew both have emo trash tatted on us nice yeah 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 awesome so as we transition to the end here i refuse to think of better ending questions so i bought this game called hot takes it's a a party game of spicy opinions as they call it so just going to ask you a couple you can agree disagree expand on them whatever uh the first one is that the crust of the pizza is the best part no, definitely not. Right? Fuck definitely no. <laughs> not. Uh, I like the crust sometimes, but some like I'll even take it a step further. Like sometimes I don't eat the crust, like half the time at least. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I'll eat it if I need to. You know what I mean? Like 
yeah like if i'm only getting two slices everybody I, there's like nothing else i can have like yeah i'm gonna eat the crust but like right I'm not it's, gonna eat it. like no it's and it, the people i've had people say this like oh it's like a bonus breadstick no the fuck it's not it's not even close to the same thing as a breadstick yeah i mean from certain places it could kind of be okay yes but like when like, you go corporate chain right like pizza hut their crust is not the same as their fucking breadstick definitely not definitely <laughs> oh my god pizza hut breadsticks are so good yeah they are <laughs> uh let's go with uh i don't know that this applies to either of us but duncan is better than starbucks uh no but everybody that's friends with me in boston would absolutely hate on me because you know like there's literally only one starbucks in our area and there's probably like five duncans so like just the way that it is but i like starbucks so much more um i'm a sucker for pink drinks and um okay. like ham and cheese croissant so yeah see it like for me i like donuts so that part of me leans towards duncan but like from a drink standpoint, I think you're right. I think Starbucks has the far superior menu when it comes to drinks. Absolutely. I would agree with you that Dunkin' has the better food menu. But it's also different because it depends on where in the country you go to Dunkin'. Like if you go to Dunkin' in the Northeast, like where I'm at in Boston, amazing. It's way better than Starbucks. Right. I was out of 10, like way better. But like in Florida, where I'm actually from, it's just like you go to Dunkin', it sucks. Like Starbucks is like oh, still amazing. Well, Starbucks is still amazing, like basically everywhere. But like Dunkin', I feel like it's just different wherever you go in the yeah. country. Yeah, so. I, I would agree with that. Uh, this one is a little political, but there should be a maximum age when you uh, can run for president. Yeah, I'd definitely say yes. I think so too. Yeah, I, th- I, I think I think there's some people in offices, not even just the presidency, that should not be in those offices anymore because of their age. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you should. Have, <laughs> I think we should probably cut it off at like 65 or something. Like, right. Yeah. Anybody over 65 should not be president, unless you get elected when you're 65, and then, you know, it's until you're 69 or whatever. But like, it's just... But even then, that feels, I don't know, you know, like, to me, if we're going to set the federal, you know, quote unquote, retirement age mm-hmm. at like 65, like that should be the cap for for politicians as well like at 65 you retire out of this yeah because i mean a lot of them just get really old and bitter and you know uh, don't want to change with the times and yeah it's it's insane uh let's say this will be the last one here french fries are the best form that a potato can take absolutely i'm gonna have to go Yes. Yeah. I, I like a baked potato. Like you can do a lot with a potato, but French fries never fucking fail. I don't know, man. I love me some, uh, some hash browns, you know, hash browns are a solid one, but some would argue that that's basically a shoestring French fry. So yeah, (laughs) yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But yeah. Awesome. Uh, so to, to, wrap up here obviously i'll link all the socials and everything but uh the standard outro is you get all the time you need to promote whatever you want to promote uh tell people where to find you interact all that sort of shit cool yeah so um i just released my new song too cool for me um it's out everywhere you can stream music right now um i have a couple of shows coming up uh i have a headliner in january in orlando so if you're in the area please come out. I would love to have you support me. 
it's uh it's really scary because it's my first headliner like absolutely ever that I've ever done even in all my other old bands and um I have an EP coming out um but first before that EP I have another single coming out that's coming very soon and if you want to stay up to date uh I use Instagram and TikTok the most uh for Twitter I just kind of shit post on there but um, but I don't use Facebook at all. I do have a Facebook page and you could go like it if you want, but like I do not use it. So, cause I feel like the demographic that I'm realistically really going for is not on Facebook. Right. So, but yeah, so if you want to keep up to date with me, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, you know. Yeah, awesome, man. I appreciate your time. And, and like I said, kind of at the beginning I or middle there, I guess, uh, I really think you're onto something here. I think that there's, I was just telling, uh, the guys in 408 and a couple others that like the pop punk space is in such an awesome place right now. There's so much room for new artists. And um, I think it's got the eyes on it finally, like it did when it was in its prime where people are looking to it and they're hungry for that new music. So uh, I say, keep doing what you're doing. Cause I, I really think it's just a matter of time before you start popping off like mag park and some of those guys where it's just going to take a couple TikToks, you know, like that's the world we live in now. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I hope so. Um, I definitely am working for it every day. Um, you know, it's all I think about. So I really hope so. But yeah. thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. Awesome, man. I'll keep you posted on when this goes live and everything, but keep doing what you're doing and we'll definitely uh, stay in touch. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so awesome. much. Thanks, man. All right. Bye. And that was my conversation with Grayson Zane. Again, huge shout out to him for taking the time to have that talk with me. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I definitely did. Again, I want him on you guys' radar, so be sure you jump over wherever you're streaming music. Add him to your playlist. Start di deep diving into the, the catalog and, and all of that. He's got a ton of stuff that he's working on and going to be dropping um, new music again very soon. So... You know, you want to be that friend that is telling others that, hey, you should check out this new artist. This is one of those artists that you should be talking about. Um, and as always, I'll have links to all of his socials and everything in the description of this podcast. So be sure you go give him a like, share, subscribe, and follow uh, anywhere that you, you know, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, uh, anywhere that you're following people and just Show them some love and support. Those things are free, but they matter immensely um, in the artist and music industry when it comes to analytics and impressions and all the, the back-end business of it. So, um, yeah, that's everything I've got for you guys on this episode. Um, as always, you know, I really appreciate everything you do for me and allowing me to have these conversations and taking the time to listen to them and you know, uh, supporting these artists that, that I bring to you as well. So, um, if you could, you know, give us a like, share, subscribe, and follow as well. Check out the Musicians for Mental Health podcast that I do as well. Um, a lot of really cool and, and powerful conversations happening over there as well. So that's everything I've got for you guys. As always, remember, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other, and you make the scene.